Let's revisit the transfer portal for Tennessee. Tennessee brought in a lot of transfers this year, and almost all of them are set to play a major role for Tennessee this year. Uh, which transfers are not planning to play a major role for Tennessee? And what about those transfers around the SEC? Transfer portal talk and a whole lot more here on your Thursday, Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, welcome into it, your Thursday edition of Locked on Vols. I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you being here. Shout out to everydayers and those of you who are new to the program. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you stick around by subscribing to us on Locked on Vols on the YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcast, Locked on Vols, a part of Locked on Podcast Network that is your team every single day and we are your first listen every single day. Can't thank you enough for that. Uh, fun show coming up. Going to revisit some transfers. Which of those transfers Tennessee welcomed in over the offseason from the transfer portal are going to play big-time roles for Tennessee? One of those transfers, wide receiver Dante Thornton. Does Tennessee have a wide receiver overload problem in terms of snap counts and catches and all that upcoming season with four guys only for three positions? We'll talk about that in segment two. And then Ryan Shepard, a Rocky Top Insider, going to join a baseball conversation with me here in segment number three, heading into Super Regional Play. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, transfer portal. Again, we know who's, you know, came in on Tennessee's roster. Uh, we got all that. Um, you know, we, we talked about it nauseam over the offseason, what had happened and all that. But now the spring practice is over. Let's kind of revisit some of those transfers, how they did in their spring and all that. And, and kind of what's their outlook for the 2023 season. Um, wide receiver Dante Thornton. Okay, and again, if you are an offensive transfer, it's it's I mean it's an adjustment to begin with. Doesn't matter what position you play, but um, it's an adjustment into this offense. It is fast, it is quick. You don't know why you're doing it. One of my favorite things about listening to these offensive guys, you know, in press conference settings and everything, the the older they get in the program is, you know, they didn't understand why they were doing things earlier on, but now they see why, not just what to do, but the why behind it. I love that. And Dante Thornton probably doesn't know the why just yet. John Campbell probably doesn't know the why just yet. McAllen Castles probably doesn't know the why just yet. Uh, but I think all three of those guys learned what to do in spring. It's an adjustment. You only get like 15 practices, then you have that orange and white game, and uh, and then and then you're off. So it's going to take some reps and reps and reps. But Dante Thornton, you know, he was banged up just a little bit over spring. He was held out. He was limited. But he's explosive. He is long. And his versatility, and something we'll talk more about in segment two, is something I think that's going to be huge for him. I expect him to play a big role for Tennessee this year. Uh, Miles Campbell, the tight end from UC Davis, uh, he is going to have to play just because Tennessee doesn't have any bodies at tight end. He came to Tennessee because he is trying to get to the National Football League. Um, he's got a nice skill set. I think he can be a nice receiving tight end. How is he learning the inline stuff, the H-back stuff, you know, getting physical, hands dirty, all that type of stuff? That will be an adjustment, in my opinion. But McAllen Castles had a decent spring, and he will uh, play for Tennessee this fall, along with, of course, Jacob Warren and hopefully Miles Campbell coming off that collarbone injury. Uh, off the tackle, John Campbell probably will have the biggest adjustment because, again, not only are you transferring schools, you're going to this Josh Heupel offense and you're going to play on the offensive line. It is a huge adjustment. But John Campbell is going to be one of your starting tackles. He's going to be your left tackle starting, uh, in my opinion. Um, and and it, that was kind of the belief and everything during spring practice, and it's kind of hard to, to fathom. You're bringing in a transfer, 
and he's essentially already supplanted your starting left tackles from last year. I say left tackles because two guys played that position. But still, they you know blocked for the nation's number one offense. So would you have liked one of those guys and Gerald Mincy and J.J. Crawford to take off with it and run? Absolutely. But they did good enough. Um, but for the fact that a guy that has already come in and said, I'm playing left tackle and taking that spot and move those two guys to the right side, now that's interesting. And of course, all those guys will be each other's backups and everything on both sides flip-flopping. But uh, John Campbell, as long as he's healthy, he's likely to be a starting tackle, starting left tackle. So uh, he had a good spring. Linebacker Keenan Peely, you know, veteran. Um, load management, if you will. He was held out a lot this spring, but uh, he's going to be playing. He's going to be great around Aaron Beasley, and those two guys are going to be great for all those young backers. Uh, Keenan Peely from BYU. Place kicker Charles Campbell. There's a need. Chase McGrath's gone. Charles Campbell coming in. A lot of experience, the Tennessee native. He'll be your starting kicker this year. And then in the rotation on the defensive line and somebody that I don't think we've talked about an awful lot, and at a position of not too many bodies, defensive tackle, Omar Norman Lott. There was a huge learning curve for Omar Norman Lott. Took him a little while. Baptism by fire with Rodney Garner, but he will 100% be in that rotation, and I think he got better over the spring. A couple more. Quarterback Gabe Judy Lolly. I think that he'll play, but, I mean, there's no guarantee if he'll start and then how much he'll play. I think he's a talented player, and I think he's been really good at BYU last year, and he's got experience in the Southeastern Conference. So I do believe that he will play, it's just um, we'll just have to figure out the kind of that pecking order. Uh, in spring practice, he was running with the twos at cornerback. Um, how long can Kamal Haddon hold on to a starting job? I don't know. You know, we'll see. But I was surprised that Kamal Haddon held on to a starting job the entire spring practice. But I think Gabe Judy Lolly will play. And then you get to Andre Carrick. And, and right now, I don't know if he'll play. Again, it's an adjustment period, so you don't want to write anybody off after 15 spring practices. But um, he did not come in and have that instant impact or – move the needle if you will like maybe we thought he might Tennessee needs a left guard or a right guard left guard yeah Tennessee needs the left guard <laughs> and um they need it in a worse way but coming out of spring practice we're talking about okay Addison Nichols proved that he can be the backup center can he be your starting left guard we came out of spring practice talking about okay Ollie Lane is this the year where he's going to be a starter will he just be a placeholder for a game or two what's going to happen uh, and then it's Andre Kirik it's like can you play catch up enough during fall camp to kind of earn your keep at left guard. That that's kind of the conversation we have and around we're having around Andre Kirik right now. Not to say he won't start or he we're writing him off, but he's a little bit further behind in my opinion. So I say all this to say if you came to Tennessee via the transfer portal, you came here to play because you're going to play. Dante Thornton's going to play. But Callan Castles is going to play. John Campbell's going to play. Keenan Peely's going to play. Charles Campbell's going to play. Omar Norman Lott's going to play. Gabe Judy Lolly, I anticipate playing. And we'll see about Andre Keurig. We'll see about it. What else about transfers from around the SEC? Barrett Salee over at CBS Sports put out a column saying top impact transfers for each team. Um, you know, heading into heading into fall camp or heading into the summer. Uh, Dominic Lovett, wide receiver, formerly in Missouri, now at Georgia. Of course, Georgia got a Rara Thomas as well from Mississippi State. But Dominic Lovett would be the guy for Georgia. Um, Alabama would be Tyler Buckner, obviously because of the position. Can he play catch up enough? Can he beat out Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow? We'll have to find out. But are you going to Alabama to reunite with your former offensive coordinator to sit the bench? I don't know. We'll see. But again, you're going to have to play a whole lot of catch up. Uh, LSU would be defensive back. Denver Harris uh, coming over from Texas A&M. He was the number two transfer in the country, um, according to some publications. 
Uh, Peyton Thorne from Auburn coming over from Michigan State. Again, a late addition uh, post-spring. You know, anytime you have a quarterback, that's got to be the number one up there. Quarterback Spencer Sanders at Ole Miss. Will he beat out Walker Howard? Will he beat out incumbent Jackson Darts? I think so because I think Spencer Sanders is a good ball club, but ball player. Can he adapt to the Lane Kiffin offense quickly enough? You know, we will see. You've got Jim, uh, Jaheim Singletary, defensive back at Arkansas, uh, another one that's kind of the best of the rest. Um, you see Devin Leary at Kentucky. Of course, I think he's going to be a stud, just to be you know, completely frank with you, uh, going from NC State to Kentucky. Uh, Freddie Robertson uh, to Mississippi State. He's coming over from, let's see here, he's coming over from Eastern Washington. Uh, Cameron Johnson, offensive lineman, going from Houston to Missouri. You have Trey Knox going from Oklahoma to uh, South Carolina. Dante Thornton's mentioned here for Tennessee. And then Tony Grimes going from North Carolina to Texas A&M. Those are some of the top transfers around the Southeastern Conference and those to be on the lookout for uh, heading into the 2023 season. But I think for Tennessee, Dante Thornton and a couple of these other ones going to play big-time roles for Tennessee. But on that note... Is there a wide receiver overload? And talking about snap counts and all that, that is coming up next right here on Locked on Vols. Guys, I want to tell you about a new proud sponsor of our show and something that I'm super, super excited with because they got swag, and that is Bird Dog. Stretch, they make you look so good. They've got the stretch khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you truly that sculpted look, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. Uh, they fit better than regular shorts, are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fix the issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit uh, without having to sacrifice movement. uses an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that helps you cool and dry all day long. Uh, awesome stuff. Okay, they, they make you look good. They're comfortable and their versatility as well. They can be used in any type of setting. Uh, hanging out at the bar with the boys, going on a day, going to an interview, going to a day at work. Use your bird dogs, wear your bird dogs, pants, and khaki shorts. And right now, go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Enter the promo code locked on college for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. All right, guys, welcome back into Locked On Vol, segment number two. We're going to talk a little wide receiver here. Uh, before we get to Ryan Schumbert, RTI, talking some Tennessee baseball in segment number three. Is there a wide receiver overload for Tennessee? Is there a problem for Tennessee in terms of snap counts and who's going to get what and all that type of stuff? I don't think so. All right, Regard, Despite Tennessee saying they want to play more players at wide receiver and want to, want to have that rotation deep and all that, you can say all those nice things. But you know as well as I do, and everybody in that wide receiver room knows, that if you don't crack the top three, a lot of times, I mean, you're, you're, just, you're just sitting back and watching, right? Because you run at a tempo that is so quick, and if you take the time to stop and substitute, that allows the defense to stop and substitute as well. You want to create mismatches. One of the best things about Josh Heupel's offense is because of the tempo, the defense has to stay with the same personnel. You can't switch quarters or, or nickel or go to a you know odd front or whatever the case may be. You have to keep your same personnel out there because unless, you know, you're, you're going to be left behind. So that's something that's, you know, it really puts defenses in a bind. 
And so you can get up there in fall camp and spring practice and say, oh, yeah, we love our room. We got, we got guys that can step up and, and play. And, we're, you know, I remember, gosh, I remember um, Alex Golish saying they wanted to play seven or eight wide receivers last year. Maybe it was Kelsey Pope. I, I don't know. Point is, you can say all that, but until it actually happens, it's, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just talk. It's just that. It's not going to happen. But here's where I think Tennessee is going to be okay. you got four wide receivers that you feel really good about. You know Brew McCoy is going to play. Okay. Um, it feels like you know Romel Keaton has earned his keep and starting job on the other side. All right. Squirrel White has stepped up and did a marvelous job uh, coming in for some big plays here and there, coming in and mop up duty. And then, of course, when Jalen Hyatt opted out of the Orange Bowl, he came in and had a big Orange Bowl game, caught a touchdown. So you feel good about Squirrel White in the slot. And then you have Dante Thornton coming over from Oregon. He came here for a reason. We talked about it in segment one. And his skill set is so unique. He is tall. He is long. He is fast. And he's explosive. And he is a slot receiver by trade. Okay? But his versatility allows him to play on the outside as well. So that versatility is why I think with those top four guys, there's not a wide receiver overload. I think the snap counts are going to even out. Now, maybe not the receptions, but I think the snap counts will even out because football is a contact sport. Um, football is a tough man sport, okay? There are so many times where you're going to get nicks and crannies and, and injuries, of course, and you might have to miss a game or miss a series or whatever. And because of that versatility, whether one of the outside gets outside guys get injured, then you could just bump Dante Thornton out and he can play the outside. Squirrel White comes in. Or whether a slot receiver gets injured, you know, Squirrel White gets banged up, you just bring Dante Thornton in. Whatever the case is, there is versatility there for sure. Now, if Dante Thornton was the one that might get injured, of course, you still have some guys, you know, the twos like Caleb Webb, Chaz Nemrod, that, you know, Nathan Leacock that can come in and play the outside as well. Uh, but you look at the, you know, snap counts and everything for in the receptions for Tennessee's wide receivers. I'm just pulling up the stat sheet from last year. You know, Jalen Hyatt was your guy, okay, 67 receptions, 1,267 yards, 15 touchdowns, Bolitnikoff Award winner, right? Okay, so he was up there. Brew McCoy, shh, don't tell anybody, he was actually second on the team in receptions. It felt like they always forgot about Brew McCoy, but he was 52 receptions for 667 yards. Okay. Um, Cedric Tillman, despite only playing six games, had 37 receptions. Uh, thanks to that 21-target game at Pittsburgh in Week 2, right? 37 receptions for 417 yards. Romel Keaton, okay, because of the injury to Cedric Tillman, Romel Keaton saw a whole lot of run last year. Uh, he played in all games, had 31 catches for 562 yards. And then you had Squirrel White, who, again, with mop-up duty and then that last game of the season coming in a starting role, he ended the season with 30 catches for 481 yards. So there's not a whole lot of disparity there. Sure, your go-to guy is going to lead the team in receptions. Uh, you know, Cedric Tillman, you know, last year, along with Bayless Jones. Uh, it was Jalen Hyatt this past year. Your number two is going to be up there, number three. And then even there's going to be four guys who play an awful lot because, again, it is a contact sport. Uh, in 2021, now they were trying to figure it out, games one and game two, back when Jalen Hyatt was starting before he got benched or really regulated to the number four guy. But still, even Jalen Hyatt came in and got his his you know snap counts up a little bit and got some targets. I remember a game against South Carolina. I remember a game in the Music City Bowl. He caught a touchdown against Purdue. But he was that fourth wide receiver. And if they went four wide sets, he went in there. But you know, a lot of times he was forced to go to the bench. So, yes, you only play three players. And, yes, one of Squirrel Wider Dante Thornton will not start game one if everybody's healthy. 
But that doesn't mean the other one's not going to see the field. That does not mean the other one is not going to play and have a big role. Football evens itself out. Football, again, is a contact sport. They will find ways to get those guys on the field, and then sometimes injury will just dictate that. This is a great problem to have if you're Tennessee. You have two guys, completely different type of players. Squirrel White, Dante Thornton. One is tall, long, and explosive. One is short, quick, and agile. Both can bring different things to the table, and both play the same position. Um, that's a great, great problem to have. I think Dante Thornton's going to be a huge addition to this offense. I think Squirrel White is going to continue to grow and elevate his role in this offense. So if I'm Kelsey Pope, if I am Joey Halsley, new offense coordinator, if I'm Josh Heibel, I'm feeling good about my weapons You know, coming into this season for Tennessee at the wide receiver position. Wide receiver overload? I don't think so. It'll always find a way to work itself out. Let's get into some baseball talk. Tennessee heading to Hattiesburg, as we spoke about on yesterday's show, for super regional play. Who is Southern Miss, and how good is the Tennessee baseball team playing right now? Ryan Shumpert of RTI will join the show when we come up next, right here on Locked On Balls. Final segment of your Thursday edition of Locked On Vols. Welcome back into it. Appreciate you being here. I'm Eric Kane, and this guy uh, positioned next to me in the other uh, photo frame is Ryan Shumpert's RTI. Does an awesome job, Ryan. Uh, let's talk a little Tennessee baseball, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this past weekend, arguably, and I mean, I guess, you know, just depending on how you look at it, I mean, obviously Tennessee won, advances on, staying alive. I mean, it was probably its best weekend of baseball of the season. They played well. They pitched well. They played clean defense. Uh, they had timely hitting. Um, you know, Tennessee looked like one of the more dangerous teams in the country last weekend, the way they handled the Clemson Regional. hundred uh, percent. And I think what you just said is is what really to me stood out is that everything that this team struggled with or held them back earlier in the season was really, really good uh, this weekend. The defense, I think, stands out to me in particular, and I think it can be easily get lost in that craziness of the Clemson game but Tennessee made so many big defensive plays in, in that game that uh, obviously the obvious one they don't win without is the double play that they turn but there's a, a number that if they don't if they don't make easily Clemson uh, scores a run here and there and, and the game changes so uh, they were really good there uh, they were really good with the timely hitting and you know how many times we've seen this year where Tennessee's the offense isn't on early. They struggle to regain the momentum. They struggle to get it going. And they just uh, were even the, I guess the first Charlotte game, they came out the gates hot, but the regional final against Charlotte, they, and they were a little slow the first couple of innings offensively, really the first time through the lineup. And they stood with it, put up big numbers. And then obviously against Clemson, Caden Grice was fantastic, uh, but they stuck with it. They got him out of the game in the ninth and then one big swing equalized it. And I guess the last thing I would say is the uh, Tony Vitello pitching decisions has been a struggle for Tennessee often this year. And boy, did it feel like he was making another mistake with Chase Burns on Saturday night against Clemson. It, you know, as he said, uh, kind of making fun of himself that his dad, first thing he told him is, boy, would I have managed that game differently. Uh, <laughs> but all those decisions worked out. Chase Burns got Tennessee out of jams. Chase Burns was probably, if not the MVP, the unsung hero of the win over Clemson. And Tennessee played really good baseball. And uh, now all of a sudden, you look at what we people said about this team early in the season or in the preseason. This team always had the talent, maybe not at the plate, anything like they did last year, but the pitching is really, really good, and there's enough pieces at the plate. They put it all together, they're going to be dangerous. They put it all together last weekend. If that continues, they uh, have a great chance to, of making it to Omaha. I think the mistake in that regard wasn't necessarily going getting Chase Burns out of the game, sure, but the fact that you know Halverson wasn't hot yet, at least in my opinion. like You should have got somebody up and warm and ready to roll a little bit before that, but 
hey, it all worked out in the end. You got that big strikeout and that double play. And, you know, sometimes that's that's what postseason baseball is. I feel like, and Tony was asked about this after, uh, I guess, the Sunday game, you know, the t- Tennessee struggled. They were 5-10 in SEC play at one point, committing errors, had to make a big move in the rotation, just trying to figure it out. We're placing all these guys, striking out a lot and all, but they've, they've gotten better and better and better. And I feel like Vitello's grown. Um, Andrew Lindsay and Chase Burns essentially both at different times this week said, hey, give me the ball. Or, you know, Burns' case, like, hey, stay in that dugout. Like, And Vitello is, you know, I feel like Vitello's gotten better as a coach learning to adapt and, and to, you know, push the right buttons for his team. You can say that for every team at this point in stage of the season. But it's been really fun to watch um, this team grow and get better. And I feel like it's almost sweeter this go around because it's been a whole lot harder compared to last year or maybe even 2021. I think inside that building, there's definitely that that's a sentiment for sure. And not that, you know, they don't love last year's team and what all those guys meant to the program, but you're right. And Vitello has stayed really patient with this team and hasn't hit the panic button when they were struggling. And, you know, obviously he's a very emotional guy. And I think he's thought a lot of those emotions uh, to, stay level-headed and to stay the course. And obviously he's done some tinkering. It hasn't just been like he sat on his hands, but a lot of those moves have worked. And I think his patience with this team has worked. And uh, you've seen them certainly start to play better. It's hard to say they were peaking going into the NCAA tournament after the one and done in SEC tournament. But obviously they were playing uh, a lot better down the stretch of the season. They finally got a road series win at South Carolina. And, and, you know, all those moves that they made and all that kind of the patience they've had uh, with some of those star players, I think, is – uh, proved, proved really beneficial. I mean, Christian Moore was the MVP. He was unbelievable, and, and certainly his struggles weren't horrific. It was more just some inconsistencies. But even Blake Burke, who has struggled a ton, was huge with some big three hits. Three, I think, of Tennessee's five hits off Caden Grice, or three of six. Mm-hmm. And obviously the uh, 0-2 single that drove him from the game in the ninth inning. All right, so Tennessee, a 2C, wins the Clemson Regional. You have Southern Miss, a 2C, wins the Auburn Regional. And uh, we're going supers. We're going to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I know you've written about it. I've talked about it on podcasts. I've written about it. I've, I've you know, done Q and A with people in the NCAA. I just, um, the, what was the word that you used to characterize this? Uh, I'm not sure what the word I used. Was maybe puz- puzzling? No, it was like b- b- befuddlement or something. I don't oh, know. befuddled. Yeah, yeah. befuddled. Yeah, befuddled it, it truly yeah. is. It, I'm just going to call it what it is, man. It's about who you know. That's what this yeah. came down to. Who you know. And money. And money. But I mean, it, politics it, it, and money. It's, um, I don't feel like, and again, this is, you know, kind of my personal thing. I don't feel like there was much of a conversation, much of a decision to be had at this stage. I feel like they knew what was going to happen and they just went ahead and rolled with it. Regardless, Tennessee's in super regional play. Go find a way to win. You know, Ole Miss did it last year and all that. But I, I feel like this was not the way to go and certainly the handling of the process in terms of who gets to host that super because Southern Miss is deserving. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you could say the same thing, if not more for Tennessee. A hundred percent. And you know, I think I've had to fight that or at least be conscious of it. Not that like Southern Miss isn't deserving or that there's some just mega gap between the two teams resume wise. Cause there isn't, but there's really not anything besides wins overall, which, you know, Southern Miss has, I think, four or five more of. Obviously, they play in a much weaker conference than the Sun Belt. Besides that, there's not one thing on the resume that would point to Southern Miss hosting over Tennessee. Now, obviously, uh, there's more that goes into it the decision, with the decision. They talk about hotel rooms, accommodations, uh, stadium. But all that, it, you know, it, to me, is pretty equal. You can get about 1,000 more fans uh, in the 
Pete Taylor Field at Southern Miss, so you can sell 2,000, 3,000 more tickets over the course of two or three days. That is, you know, the one advantage that Southern Miss has, but it's not like Tennessee is incapable of hosting a, a super regional. They've done it the last two years, plenty of hotel rooms in Knoxville. Uh, obviously, Lindsey Nelson Stadium's not Fenway Park or Wrigley Field or anything, but it, it's, you know, plenty good enough and it has plenty of enough resources uh, to host without it, without issue. I just continue to get hung up. I mean, it's such an easy place to get to. It's such a beautiful city. There's so much to do. And um, with all due respect, we're going to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where it's going to rain all day and be 95 degrees. So looking forward to that. I'll, I'll get over it sooner or later. I'm more frustrated because you and I are going to have to drive there. Oh, than yes. Anything. Southern Miss, good ball club, man. Real good ball club. Tanner Hall, great pitcher. A semifinalist Golden Spikes Award. He was the Sun Belt Pitcher of the Year. He's actually been the, the Conference Pitcher of the Year the last two years because this is their inaugural season in the Sun Belt where they won the tournament. But they were in Conference USA last year, and, and uh, Tanner Hall won that Pitcher of the Year honor as well. Uh, Dustin Dickerson, shortstop, who's on a home run tear. Six homers in the regional play, take home MVP honors. Um, you know they, they've got some some pitchers with experience. They have a direct plan. I kind of charted it last night, and you know one, two, three, if needed for a four uh, in their pitching staff. This is a good ball club. Again, deserving good ball club. It's going to be a tremendous challenge for Tennessee. But uh, again, we said it all year, and, and we saw it last weekend. You play up to your potential. You play the way Tennessee can play. Uh, there's hardly anybody in the country that might that might beat you in Southern Miss the same way this weekend. It's one of those things where I do think Tennessee's the better team and certainly the more talented team. Obviously, Southern Miss is here for a reason. They're good, and it's baseball. Wild things happen all the time. Uh, but to me, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch is with Tanner Hall because he threw 127 pitches or north between 120 and 130 mm -hmm. uh, on the regional opener on Friday. He turns around and throws about 35 uh, on Monday. So, obviously, I think it's a break. Or, yeah, a break because he pitched at some point, but good for Southern Miss that it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, not Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think it'll be interesting to see when he uh, when he throws for Southern Miss. And uh, you're right, it's offensively not an explosive team, but five or six really solid bats, uh, a handful of guys with power. But more than anything, I think they rank top 40 nationally in doubles. It is a bigger park, uh, which I think maybe can play to Tennessee's advantage and, and kind of plays against Tennessee in some ways too. So I, I'm not reading too much into that. Uh, but it does kind of make sense. The, the home run numbers aren't overpowering, but a handful of guys uh, that can hit them. And then certainly there's been a lot of doubles and there's a lot of really solid hitters in that Golden Eagles lineup. All right, last thing. Uh, the comparisons have been fun to make all season long. Which team would you, and I've been doing it on the show all week, they're probably getting tired of it. Which team would you compare this Tennessee baseball team to more? Last year, Ole Miss or the Tennessee basketball team this past year to where, boy, there was so much talent. And sometimes they look like national champions. Sometimes they look like they weren't a tournament team. Uh, there were some frustrations there. But the way things played out, you get into this round of the NCAA tournaments and even the opponents, right? You, that's why you can't take anybody for granted because Southern Miss is a good team. But there are so many parallels of this baseball team to this year's basketball team. And then obviously Ole Miss last year. We'll see what's in store for Tennessee. But Ole Miss... Horrible record midway through, turned it around, went on the road in Supers, advanced to the World Series, and of course we know what happened from there. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, you know, I don't think it's a one-to-one -one comparison with either of them. And I think to me the obvious thing would be to say that the regular season results, I think, for this team were more similar to the basketball team than they were 
to the Ole Miss last season. Just because, I mean, Ole Miss last season, they were last team in the tournament. And certainly Tennessee was on the bubble for a lot of the year. But the final three, four weeks, we knew Tennessee was going to make it. The conversation was uh, only about hosting. And then, uh, obviously, it was kind of flipped and where the baseball struggles came early, the basketball struggles came late. And I think that's where I'm going to go with Ole Miss, uh, just because Tennessee basketball, it was – one game to the next, you had absolutely no idea what you were going to get, and you really didn't know what you were going to get from many players besides Santiago Vescovi. I mean, he was the one constant. Zakai Ziegler, uh, you know, was, wasn't was wildly inconsistent, but Josiah Jordan James, Julian Phillips, Olivia, everybody in the front court, Olivia Kamba being the most obvious candidate, uh, were just wildly inconsistent. You didn't know what you were going to get. You didn't know what team uh, was going to show up. And certainly there's been a little bit of that for the baseball team. Uh, but I point more to that just being that's kind of the nature of the sport. You're going to be in, I mean, you're playing in the MLB 162 games and college baseball 55 games or whatever. It's going to be a little bit inconsistent. So uh, I would point more to Ole Miss and where you had really high preseason expectations, struggles early in SEC play, probably not quite as dramatic as Tennessee, for Tennessee as it was for Ole Miss. Uh, but all along, you knew they had talent and that they could make it to the NCAA tournament uh, and get hot. You knew that they were certainly capable of making a deep run. Prediction for this weekend, who wins in how many games? I think Tennessee wins in two games. Maybe that's okay. uh, a little overly bold for me. but uh, Maybe I that's just wanting to get out of Hattiesburg, man. I'm with you. That, there is some wishful thinking in that. There is a, <laughs> a wishful thinking in only having to spend one night in Hattiesburg if it's a two-game series. Uh, but, you know, the only thing I'd point to that I think bodes well for Tennessee, and I think it could be a little overblown because Tennessee certainly faced a lot of lefty pitchers last weekend, but the numbers, the splits, they, they bear out much better against right-handed pitching. And Southern Miss is very heavy right-handed pitching. All uh, four guys that they could potentially start, all right-handers. There's about two uh, left-handed arms in the bullpen they use pretty frequently, uh, but a lot more right-handed arms. And obviously those guys have been good, uh, but I think it's a little bit of a different beast facing an SEC lineup and a Sun Belt lineup. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, again, Tanner Hall, freaking awesome pitcher. He's good. Fantastic, uh, yeah. Billy Oldham, who you know was a part of the D3 National Championship team last year, he's their two. He's a righty. Uh, Matthew Adams has been their number three the last couple of weeks. He's a righty. You got Nico Maza is a righty who has started games and who pitched in uh, both the conference tournament and regional play. And then you've got Will Armstead, who is more of a bullpen arm, really good bullpen arm, can start if needed. Uh, he's a righty as well. So very much like Tennessee in that regards. Ryan, appreciate the time, man. Uh, can always follow your work in uh, really every single sport, but right now it's heavy Tennessee baseball or Rocky Top Insider. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. All right, that is Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Appreciate him joining the show, and appreciate you guys joining the show here today. As always, shout out to you everydayers. Had a good time talking about transfers around the SEC, the impact of Tennessee, and, of course, uh, wide receiver overload. I think it's all going to work itself out because we do – follow and, and everything with the sport of football and that you know usually kind of evens things out so i appreciate you guys for being here if you haven't already please subscribe to lockdown balls on the youtube channel uh turn those notifications on so when a new episode drops you will be notified follow and subscribe anywhere you get your audio podcast we are an audio podcasting um company and uh you know youtube is just a bonus and i love it and i've uh i had a good time but you can always catch us on apple podcast spotify odyssey wherever you get your listening podcast all right when we come back we'll get you set for the southern miss regional tennessee baseball and of course tennessee football here to end the work week that's what you have to look forward to tomorrow on lockdown balls appreciate you guys